0: Listening to the Only Schoolers podcast. I'm Gina Prosh, and hanging out here with me as always is my co host, Kristen Edwards.
1: Yep, I'm here. Hello. And I'm so excited about this episode of the podcast. I have been looking forward to it since we made out the schedule of topics earlier this year. But before we get to that, we do have a few housekeeping details to take care of, like saying, thank you to all of you who are tuning into the podcast. You're sending us emails, you're commenting on our Instagram and Facebook posts, and we love hearing from you.
0: When we started this back in April, our listeners were mostly our family and friends. But since then, our little podcast audience has continued to grow and it really is all because of you. So thank you so much for tuning in and thank you so much for telling your homeschool friends. And please keep listening on Spotify or iTunes. And like we mentioned in our last podcast, we are now on Amazon Music as well. You can hop onto Instagram or Facebook and look for our Only Schoolers handle, comment on a post, send us a message, or if email's your thing, you can find us at OnlySchoolers at gmail.com.
1: Okay, so now can we get on with the fun stuff?
0: Yes, it's time for the fun stuff. Our first ever only schoolers question and answer episode.
1: You know, when we first started batting around ideas for this Q&A episode, I was a little nervous. I wondered if we'd actually have any listeners. And if we had any listeners, would anyone out there ask us questions?
0: And lo and behold, there are questions. Again, thank you to everyone who reached out and sent us a message on Facebook, who emailed, and we will answer them as best we can. So Kristen, I know you've got your trusty spiral notebook right there. What is the first question on your list?
1: Yes, I do. So this is a classic question that parents of only children face. How do you fill all the hours from 8am to 10pm with a very activity driven 10 year old?
0: Oh my gosh, this is absolutely the parents of an only child question. Because if there's only one kid in the house, it's not like you get to say, hey, go play with your little sister or go play with your big brother. There are lots of times, especially when it comes to activities, that you are the only one around and the days can get long. And if you're in a situation like we have at our house where we live out in the country, there simply aren't any neighbor kids who live across the street or next door or whatever. Now, you live in town, but correct me if I'm wrong. Your neighborhood wasn't filled with kids September's age when she was little, right? So you were in the same boat.
1: Kind of. I mean, actually, when she was younger, the family next door had four kids and the oldest was her age, but they moved. (laughs) But, you know, there were times when we'd all be in the backyards together and the kids would play Or we might plan a cookie decorating party at Halloween or a sledding party in the winter. Kind of in a funny twist, that neighbor's sister is actually one of my closest friends. And she has a son who's just a couple of years younger than September, although not right next door. So Kathy and I would have almost weekly play dates for the kids when they were younger. And okay, mostly it was for us moms to sit and drink tea and visit. But sure, let's say it was for the kids. (laughs) But yeah, you know, it wasn't like she had a constant playmate available. Really, for the most part, it was just me or, you know, go play with the cats.
0: What strategies did you use for filling all those waking hours?
1: Honestly, I have to say, she was a fairly easy kid. I really lucked out in that she really did prefer playing by herself and I think that's just kind of her basic neurology so in that respect she's kind of always craved solitude even as a little bitty but we did do lots of read-alouds lots of board games which I love and so I would have a few things scheduled for the day but after that she pretty much amused herself but let's see to fill in the day let me think gosh it's been a while we were outside a lot. I mean, a lot. We had a play set in the backyard, so the swing, slide, little clubhouse sort of thing. And we literally spent hours out there. It was cool and shady, and she'd swing while I'd read out loud sometimes, or we'd watch the birds and the squirrels do their thing kind of in the trees there. Or we'd walk up the street to the park, and we'd play there. And maybe we'd stop and do some sidewalk chalk. We walked to the library a lot. I do remember pushing her in the stroller or later pulling the wagon. We went to my grandma's at least once a week. And in the winter, we really liked to hang out at Barnes & Noble at least once a week, too.
0: So making sure to get out of the house sometimes was key, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. It really broke up those long hours, especially after Kevin died and we didn't have that sort of natural daddy's home now break to our days. Because it was just us, two of us, 24-7, all the time. So we really did need to get out of that house um, as, as often as I could fit it into our schedule. And we had that same routine actually during this past spring's lockdown in our state. We made sure to get out of the house at least once a day, even if it was just driving around listening to music. We were in a different location. I think she was probably probably nine or 10 when we started doing scheduled activities outside the house, you know, like skating and she was in that scouting troop, that sort of thing. But before that, just being at home together most of the days, we just really had a loose routine that filled our days. But I know you had a very active 10-year-old at your house once upon a time. So what about you? You know, what strategies did you use to deal with that activity level?
0: Oh, very active. Something of an understatement there. Um, We've we've said before, you know, we may be called homeschoolers, but the one thing uh, we made a point of doing, like you said, was scheduling at least one thing outside of the house every single day. Because my husband and I work at home as well as homeschool. So, you know, in theory, we don't ever have to leave, but we'd still like to schedule out of the house, breathe some different air sort of time. We go out for lunch fairly often. We learned that we need something to break up that long day at home time in the afternoons to keep the days interesting. And looking back, I mean, in many ways, our overall weekly schedule is still much the same as it was when he was younger. Monday, skating lessons, Tuesdays, co-op. Wednesdays when he was younger was mornings at grandma and grandpa's, Thursday, archery and skating, and then Friday, chess club and skating. He doesn't spend Wednesday mornings at the grandparents anymore. But he always rides up to their house on his bike every day to see what riveting small town gossip grandma's picked up from her friends and kind of to check in on them. He's actually really, really good with old people and finds them fascinating. So that is not a chore at all. Kind of like you in September hanging out with your grandma. But um, like I said, activities were usually in the afternoon. So there'd be kind of a morning of learning with plenty of time to blow off steam afterwards. And of course, since we were working at home, my husband and I simply had to say sometimes, go outside, give us at least a half an hour to ourselves. Don't come in unless you're bleeding or snake bit or something.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'd be like, I don't care what you do. Just don't set the house on fire.
0: Oh, totally. Okay, so funny story. An example of an active kid. it must have been maybe four or five. And he trotted up the stairs to my office. And said, I'm going to go back outside. Is that okay? And I'm like, sure. And he heads up down the stairs and he says over his shoulder, I'm going to turn my bee collection loose now. (laughs) And it took me a couple of seconds before what he said dawned on me. I'm like, bee collection? (laughs) What what bee collection do you have? And I go flying down the stairs behind him. It turns out that he's captured about a dozen honeybees in a half-gallon antique mason jar, all without getting stung, I might add he's brought the jar in the house, and he'd been watching them fly around. And, you know, Mr. Catch and Release was turning them back outside, thankfully, outside.
1: (laughs) That's hilarious. We never had bee collecting. But one time I did catch September carrying a plastic spoonful of sugar outside. And I was like, Hey, Slick, what you doing? And she said, I accidentally squished an ant, so I'm taking an apology dinner to the rest of them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh gosh, these kids. <laughs> truly, though, there are days when they're little, and, and even when, you know, like I'm thinking little 10 sounds little to me now, you just simply can't wait till bedtime because older mom here, you know what I mean there. Um, I was just well and truly exhausted from being his mom, his teacher, his playmate, his whatever. And to be honest, there are still days when, God blesses cotton socks, there is no way to sugarcoat it. It can just be hard. But regardless of how hard any individual day might be, I always try to remember when he was little, those days didn't last forever. Um, and these days as a teenager won't last forever. You know, just try to encapsulate it in... It, this too will pass.
1: Yeah, It just feels like it's lasting forever when you're in the middle of it and you don't have a minute to collect your thoughts or even just go to the bathroom. I guess our final answer to that question is this though. Try to plan some outside the house time, whether it's a structured activity or just a drive to get ice cream each day. Create a loose sort of routine so your kid knows when you're available and when you just need a break and you know have some solo options available when it's break time like audio books legos puzzle woodworking kit jar to collect bees spoon for the sugar for the <laughs> ants you know whatever seems the most engaging to your kid <laughs>
0: So what do you have next on the list of questions?
1: Well, let's see. We've gotten several questions about curriculum. You know, people looking for recommendations about online curriculum or accredited curriculum, what curriculum to use for first-time homeschoolers, kindergartners, that sort of thing.
0: Let's start with the kindergartners and kind of work our way up from there. I've actually been answering this question a lot on various um, Facebook groups. And, you know, when it comes to young learners, my answer is pretty much always the same. <laughs> the best curriculum is no curriculum at all. Yep. I understand uh, the pressure we parents put on ourselves as homeschool parents, but that whole wanting to get started or the fear of falling behind, to which I always think, behind who? There's no crying in baseball. There is no behind in homeschool because who are you going to be behind? But honestly, I believe a homeschool parent's biggest, most important priority for young kids is to help them fall in love with learning, ownership of your your education. If you foster that sense of curiosity and wonder, you are really on your way to a lifetime of successful homeschooling and there is no curriculum that is more important than that. If you have multiple children, help them build a relationship with each other because the relationship your kids have with each other is more important than any single curriculum choice. Now, that being said, read fun books with them sitting on your lap. So reading has lots of positive associations for them. You know, act out the books, do all the funny voices, make them laugh, tell them silly jokes, that sort of thing.
1: Yeah. I like how you slipped in that ownership of education because seriously, it's us. It's the Only Scores podcast. It has to be said. But I think we even started it, you know, younger without even knowing that phrase because when September was about preschool age, I'd ask her, I'd say, hey, what do you want to learn about next week? And we just went from there. So I remember one week she just said, France. So on different days, we know we might have read a Madeleine book. We made crepes. We sang French songs. We created the left bank in our living room to paint. We learned a fun hopscotch-like game. We created a hot air balloon from a plastic bag and the toaster. You know, just little stuff that I'd kind of found that tied into France. It didn't take too long, maybe like an hour each day. And then she'd kind of go off the rest of the day and either continue along those lines or just do whatever she did. We also did cats. Cats the moon landing, dinosaurs, the color red. I mean, her topics were so random when I look back at it, but it was all geared to what she was truly interested in, just not a particular curriculum.
0: And, and that's it right there. The goal isn't to find a perfect curriculum. It's to create an environment that shows them that the world can be a fascinating place. Encourage them to be curious, which can, I mean, it can be as simple as saying, wow, this sand in the sandbox is really hot. I wonder if the sand at the bottom is hot too. And then you've got a reason to dig to the bottom of the sandbox. Um, You can make craft projects and tape them on the walls or the refrigerator. Take a picture of the pumpkin they carved, show off the fall leaf, crayon, shred, wax paper thing that they made and post it to Instagram and let them see that you're proud of the things that they accomplished and help them to start owning their own education by asking them what they want to learn about.
1: And honestly, you know, that's the way we've continued to do it. And I know that you do the same thing with Wyatt. They have total input into all their studies. You know, I might throw out some ideas, but she gets to decide what she wants to learn. So if you're a first-time homeschooler, particularly one who pulled a student out mid-year, don't be in a huge rush to buy up all the curriculum. Think about what caused you to pull your child out of school, because if there was a bad situation there, it is far more important to undo whatever damage had been done than to jump into multiplication tables or whatever i mean it's officially called deschooling, and i always recommend it for anyone pulling their kid from a public or private school we will link to some articles in the show notes but it's basically this idea of a transition time between a very structured environment to your home environment And it starts allowing your kid to adapt to learning at home and to really start understanding they do have the freedom to choose what they want to learn.
0: And as far as general curriculum recommendations, one thing, one of the things that Kristen and I agreed on when we started doing this podcast was we didn't want to get into a habit of recommending a particular curriculum. We can only tell you the things that have worked or haven't worked for us. And just because something did work for us doesn't mean it's going to work for you. And just because it didn't work for us doesn't mean it won't work for you.
1: Yeah, because I can absolutely guarantee that our situations and our kids are going to be way different from your kids and your situation. We've each, you know, Gina and I, we've each just got the one kid, our our little pancake, so to speak. So you really have to consider your kids' learning style and your teaching style. And as they get older, think about what their future plans are. All of those things are going to guide you in your choices for curriculum.
0: When it comes to online curriculum or accredited curriculum, it's a you-do-you sort of thing. Only you can know what you really want. And only you can know if it's a curriculum that fits the values that your family has. The secret is to not get in a rush with buying curriculum. Uh, you know, it's like when you're shopping for a new couch, visit lots of furniture store and sit on lots of different couches and take measurements to see if it's going to fit your room. But don't buy the first couch you sit on the first time you sit on it. Talk to other homeschool parents. <laughs> Ask them if you can borrow their curriculum for a weekend to take a look at it before you jump in and purchase a bunch of stuff. Um, whatever you do, wait for curriculum that sparks a sense of joy in you and your kids and makes them want to learn Because honestly, there is no point in encouraging all that curiosity engagement we were talking about with young kids only to squash it with a curriculum that everybody really hates.
1: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter if you bought it, if it's not working, get rid of it. And don't feel guilty if you sell it or give it to someone else or anything, because honestly, it might be absolutely perfect for them, like Gina said earlier. I mean, be aware of copyright restrictions, particularly for downloadable curriculum. But even then, don't let the fact that you can't give it away or sell it guilt you into using it. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And that reminds me to do a brief commercial for our five minutes on the fifth Thursday. So this month, we're talking about the things that we've already revamped or ditched this school year, something that we tried and it didn't work and we changed our minds about it. So be sure to tune in on October 29th to see what we've kicked to the curb this fall. So don't think you're the only one who doesn't have your curriculum completely figured out. We can assure you, you are not. There is a reason there are lots of curriculum options out there. It's so homeschool families can choose the one that best suits their particular needs at a particular time. So before I go on to the last question in my notebook, Gina, do you have any other questions that you received?
0: I actually have two questions here. The first one is about the role of homeschool dads. Very often it's the homeschool mom that we hear about, but what can dads do to help with homeschooling or in a situation like yours where you're a single parent family, how do you handle that?
1: Oh, that's a good one. Well, my quick answer is give lots of grace to your child and know that it's okay. It's actually essential to ask for help. When September was younger, it was pretty easy to do all the subjects myself. And as I said before, we just made sure to schedule that time away from the house to kind of give us a much needed break from each other. But as she's gotten older, I've started outsourcing more stuff. And sometimes, you know, that's an area where I don't have much expertise, like The Russian language she's doing this year or sometimes it's a sport like her skating and synchro team and that one actually ticks another box because she's also benefiting from a male role model because she spends several hours a week with her coach Josh and he brings just this different kind of care and teaching and authority style to the table. So for me as a single parent it's been really important to include other adults in her education and that just gives her an idea that there are a variety of ways to approach life and learning. It's also been really important to give her space to be herself and lots of grace for both of us when the days get long and the moods get unpredictable. We have really learned to cut each other some slack. But you've mentioned before that Rich does some some subjects with Wyatt. So which things have you turned over to him?
0: We didn't really set out from the get-go to do homeschool like this, but it turned out that Rich does the science part, um, does a lot of the history too. He and Wyatt have had fun doing science projects together all the way back when Wyatt was little. And so they still do stuff like that. Also, when something around the house is broken, they're pretty handy at, at fixing things. And a lot of those turn into impromptu science lessons. But whatever your family looks like, single parent, two parent, step parent, homeschooling is a lifestyle. And if a dad, uncle, grandparent, next-door neighbor has a particular area of expertise, see if they would like to share that knowledge.
1: Yeah, it's like I said before, it takes a village sometimes. So fill up your homeschool village with people who support your child and your goals for lifelong learning. Okay, so what's the next question you received?
0: You will love this. Someone asked for book recommendations for kids. Now, <laughs> before, you, <laughs> before you start... <laughs> Before you get going. (laughs) before I get going, (laughs) we've only got a half an hour. (laughs) I'm going to suggest we do a whole show about our favorite books for kids, maybe uh, sometime later this this fall or or in January, as it's getting toward Curl Up with a Blanket and a Book and Read the Weekend Away Weather. But because this episode um, is is just going to be way too long, uh, you can... (laughs)
1: Yeah. (laughs) If we both jump in with book recommendations, we're going to be here forever. So we will pull ourselves back listeners. But yeah, Gina, you will get no arguments from me about devoting a whole show to books. But for now, how about since we are both readers, let's just share a couple of our absolute favorites and kind of a bit about our basic philosophy when it comes to reading and homeschooling.
0: Sounds good. Why don't you start? I know I've mentioned in one of our earlier episodes about not having required amounts of reading time every day. What's been your philosophy of reading with September?
1: Well, when she was younger, we did a ton of read alouds, like all the time, we'd have three or four going at one time. And we covered a wide variety of genres because I wanted to show her there's such a diversity in literature. But I don't require outside reading from her. I just make sure that I include the books I want her to know in our literature studies. I mean, Macbeth was a favorite. Um, She loved Beowulf. She loved Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. We're actually about to start Emma, which is going to be different from the ones I just mentioned. And I hope she likes it because I am a total Jane Austen fan I'm thinking, though, that the Brontes are going to be more her style, sort of that gothic romance thing, especially with Emily. She's not a huge reader like I am, but every now and then she'll ask to go to the library just to kind of browse around. She's probably more of a nonfiction reader. She's read more plague and disease books than I care to think about. But what about you?
0: When it comes to pleasure reading, we are a read-what-you-love-life-is-too-short-to-read-bad-books kind of family. Except for my husband, who actually did feel compelled to finish Moby Dick. Um, Clearly, I've failed him somewhere along the way. Yes, you did. (laughs) But in short, if you love fiction, then by all means read fiction. But if you love nonfiction or memoir or biography or newspapers, then read those things. If you are reading a book and after 50 pages or so, it's still just me, then life is too short to read bad books. Just ditch it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so what do you do about reading for school then?
0: Wyatt has done almost all of the literature classes through co-op. And there I concentrate mostly on the classics. So uh, Shakespeare, Homer, Mark Twain, Jane Austen, Harper Lee, Dante, Elie Wiesel, Mark, Mary Shelley, big, big names. I try to pick books that are part of the great ongoing conversation that people are having across centuries. And that really show that literature represents writers writing about the human condition, and that does not change. Now, at home, I toss in books that are a little bit more eclectic. A couple of years ago, we read The Boys in the Boat. Um, last year, we read Beowulf. We did a unit with um, Fahrenheit 451, Animal Farm, 1984, and Lord of the Flies. Right now, we're reading Minute Work by George Will, which is a terrific book about baseball. So the other day at the rink, you mentioned a few really cool literary things you were planning for September. Tell us about those.
1: Sure. Okay, so right now we're doing a survey of British Lit, which we are actually both enjoying. Um, But I also want to make sure that we cast the net a bit wider in terms of the classics and the voices to include as we move forward in high school. So I'm kind of working on this class that I think I'll call Marginalized Voices in American Literature. And you gave me some great ideas for, for those selections. She's really looking forward to it, and like I said, we don't have all the selections narrowed down yet, but we'll definitely be including like more women authors, Native American authors, Black authors. You get the idea, just a wider variety there. Since she really liked the Dust Bowl when we studied the Great Depression, I'm also kind of considering creating a class that focuses on novels from and or about that era, and again, My focus is going to be on including a variety of voices and narratives and genres and styles. And one idea that she and I were just talking about today is kind of a look at mystery writers. So, you know, think Agatha Christie or Edgar Allan Poe or Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Daphne du Maurier maybe Dashiell Hammett, I haven't decided exactly what that would look like. But it is a genre she likes. So I think it could be a fun class. And of course, there are lots of movie tie ins.
0: That sounds like a lot of fun. Okay, so those were my two questions. You said you had one last one. What is it?
1: It kind of goes along with that literary question. How do you teach poetry?
0: I think you teach poetry in absolutely the best way possible with tea and tasty snacks. Um, (laughs) You are the maven of poetry tea time. Why don't you give us some of your best poetry tea time ideas that you've used at your house?
1: Well, that's something I actually learned from Brave Rider, so uh, I can't take all the credit for the poetry tea time idea, but it has been a huge hit for us. So the easiest way to start is just grab some poetry books and treats and sit around reading poems out loud while you eat and sip your tea. So while we're reading, we might note a particularly lovely phrase, or we might notice some alliteration or imagery. But it really is more about just sort of enjoying the poem as it's read aloud and we can hear it and we can play with the words. We don't really pull it apart and study it so much. It's really a great way to approach a genre that often makes people nervous. I like to kick things up a notch, though, because I'm extra that way. And I like to plan some theme tea times. So like one of our absolute favorites was an Edgar Allan Poe tea time at Halloween. We did a baseball themed one in the summer. So like think Casey at the bat. And did you know there's like two or three other poems that continue that story, which I didn't know. Oh, it. wow. I yeah, seriously. Didn't know it was that. Written by, yeah, written by other people, but they continue that whole story. And because we're now familiar with a lot of poets, because we've done tea time for quite a few years now. I started doing these guess who tea times where I would focus on a particular poet, I would make treats that fit their poems, and then she would have to guess which poet I was talking about. So we did William Carlos Williams, Langston Hughes, Emily Bronte, all huge hits. What do you do to teach poetry?
0: I really come at it from my English teacher background. Like you, the first place to start is reading it aloud. So poetry is supposed to be heard aloud. It's not something you just sit with the book and read. Then from there, go on to the big picture. You know, what's it about? Is it about snakes or ravens, albatrosses, flowers, dead lovers? You know, what's what's it about? Pick, pick something. And then, like, what's the mood? It, it's always easier to figure out the mood after you hear it out loud because there'll be specific word choices and things that the poet uses to convey mood. As he's gotten older, we've looked more at, you know, you can look at rhyme scheme and rhythm if there is a particular one that's conforming to a, a sonnet or a haiku or a limerick or that kind of thing. And then we'll just do a line by line look at the whole thing. And, and
1: speaking of ends, that's where I think we are right now. <laughs> Unfortunately, because I want to talk books more. But anyway, I'm at the end of my questions and we're at the end of our time. But before we sign off, please keep spreading the word about the Only Schoolers podcast. Tell your homeschool friends to look for us on iTunes, Stitchers, Amazon Music Now, really almost anywhere podcasts are found.
0: And don't forget to check out our Patreon community if you want to support our ongoing efforts. We've got several different levels that you can get involved at and some different content and special features. So thank you so much for joining us today. If you think of another question as a result of listening to this episode, pop on over to Facebook or Instagram and ask away. If you send us enough questions, we might have homeschool question and answer number two. Sometime in the future, we are always happy to help. Until next time.